You are listening to So What, a podcast from Canadian Mennonite University. CMU is in Winnipeg, Manitoba on Treaty 1 land. I'm your host, Jonas Cornelson, living in Treaty 7, Calgary, Alberta. I'm curious when you first heard someone give a land acknowledgement. They have become common in many parts of Canada. But are they too common? Land acknowledgements are good, but simply saying whose traditional lands we are occupying is not enough on its own. This is the second episode in our Reconciliation series, and I'm delighted to welcome back Christy Anderson to the podcast. Christy is the Indigenous Engagement Advisor at CMU, and we've been collaborating on these episodes. This time, with a little input from author John Ralston Saul, we talked about land acknowledgements and what kinds of actions should come with them. Bujou Christy Anderson in Dijnikas, Nin Penemuteng Indoji, Nin Mahigan Indodem. In the language of my ancestors, I just introduced myself. My name is Christy Anderson. I am from Penemuteng First Nation, Treaty 2 Territory, and I am of the Wolf Clan. I'm really excited to be working on this project with CMU and getting into kind of the podcast world. I was a media and communications major at CMU when I graduated in 2011. And I always had this dream, this kind of dream that I would tell stories, that I was going to be a journalist or a reporter. As it happens, I ended up going on to grad school, uh, finished my master's at the University of Manitoba, and I'm now a PhD student in Indigenous Studies at the University of Saskatchewan. But I do have this inherent love for media and the way that it touches people. I grew up on the um, listening to the radio, listening to talk radio. So I've been really influenced by those things and, and I absolutely love listening to podcasts. So it's really exciting to be a part of this project and to get to dip my toes into this media landscape. Thank you so much, Christy. I'm really glad you found your way back into audio storytelling uh, through this particular project. To start our discussion, I used a clip from a 2016 lecture at CMU by John Ralston Saul. John is a prominent Canadian author, and he tries to use his voice to advance the cause of reconciliation among his fellow white people. He opened his talk at CMU by reflecting on the land acknowledgement from that very evening. We'll hear this clip from John, and then I'll continue my conversation with Christy. Uh, at the beginning, we were, as we probably should be, um, grateful for being on Treaty 1 territory and, uh, of course, the mention of the homeland of the Métis Nation. Um, and, you know, people are now used to that. It started in the West. People started saying it in public meetings. And uh, it's really important that people not get too used to it uh, because these are protocols that mean something. And I think all of these things which are being introduced into public meetings in Canada, whether it's smudging or prayers, these are really, really important. And I'm going to come back to this because I think what's really fascinating is the ease, after all these, you know, 100 to 150 years of not, of refusing to understand where we were, the newcomers, and why we were here and how we came to be here, suddenly 
with surprising ease, people are falling into these protocols, uh, which is great, providing you realize that they actually mean something, that they are protocols, not politenesses. There's a difference between politeness and protocols. They're protocols which are commitments to something, to things, to acting in a certain way. Protocol compared to politeness. What, what, what strikes you about that comparison? Well, this is a tricky subject because, you know, as an Indigenous person, every time I hear a land acknowledgement in a new space, I get, immediately I get kind of excited. And then my, I'm, I quickly come back into reality and go, okay, but what does this mean to the Winnipeg Jets? What does this mean to the Blue Bombers? What does this mean to CMU? You know, and like, I think it's a really challenging space when we start to actually think about the meaning behind these land acknowledgements. And I think he's right. Most people just want it, to, it, like a lot of reconciliation efforts, and I would say land acknowledgements are one of those, are almost equated today to like ticking off a box, right? And as he says, like, don't get too comfortable with this because we shouldn't be used to this idea. Like, we should be wrestling with this idea all the time of like, well, what does that mean for us? Mm-hmm. And I would say that like, you know, he talks about protocols and he talks about, you know, meaning, the meaning behind actually making this acknowledgement. Institutions want to look good. Um, people want to look good. They want to look like they're doing the right thing. But when it really comes down to it, like these land acknowledgements need to have actionable items behind them. Like, what does that mean? How are we writing these relationships of the first peoples of this land? And so often that is the piece that's missing. And so it becomes this kind of hollow tribute to the original caretakers of this land that we now claim and exploit for our own profit. And, and, uh, you know, so that's that's kind of my first takes on it. In terms of actionable items, when I was living in Vancouver, I noticed at one point that the airport authority had committed to paying something like 1% of its gross revenue to the Musqueam nation on whose lands the airport sits on there. Is that one example of something that organizations could, could do to move forward in that way? I think so. I think because there is such a huge economic disparity, the fact that these systems were set up with the intention of never actually allowing Indigenous peoples to come kind of join in. And now we find ourselves today in modern times, like with these huge disparities, I think that, yeah, there is definitely, there has to be some sort of economic reckoning. I assume it's not just monetary, right? But in, especially in our modern time, money really represents kind of that, that abundance, that wealth and, and the way that we can actually kind of make this, um, make this relationship a little more even. Exactly. And so we're talking about the system that we're living within. This colonial system is also a late capitalist system. And and so, you know, a huge portion of being able to actually attain the resources that you need to live that minobamatsu and that good life, it requires economic security. It requires finances. 
And that is the system that we find ourselves within. And so often you'll find people, many people kind of like theoretically and ideologically like rejecting capitalism, but here we are. And our day-to-day reality says, no, like there needs to be some sort of like economic uh, reckoning for indigenous peoples in this land. Besides, um, besides monetary or, or economic exchanges, what other kinds of actionable items would you, would you want to put behind a land acknowledgement? If, you know, if you could say to the Winnipeg Jets, I'd like to see you do this. So, well, okay. So, I mean, those are really kind of practical things that I feel like any organization can kind of tailor it to what it is that they do. So what could the Winnipeg Jets do? Well, they have a foundation that funds children's camps, that funds hockey, like really elite kind of like hockey camps that are too expensive for me to send my kid to. Um, And, you know, they have really expensive seats to professional hockey games. So one of the things they could do is be giving those things away, right? To indigenous people, they could be giving, they could have certain, like certain amounts of seats that are designated to give to like give out through indigenous organizations so that indigenous people can actually go and enjoy a Jets game. They could run hockey camps specifically for indigenous kids through their own sport foundation. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's really just kind of thinking about what is it that we do and what can we offer? I Um, had the opportunity to speak with a group of lawyers in Toronto. And they said, well, what can we do as lawyers? Like, and I said, you have the ability and the understanding to navigate the law and indigenous people's need that expertise, you can offer your services pro bono to an organization that's trying to accomplish something. I mean, you know, there's so many ways to just, to give back, right? And to um, to ensure that there, that places are actually using and, and responding to that land acknowledgement in a way that makes sense for them. Those are the things that I'm looking for is for people to take the situation that they're in, look at what they have and do something with it. It strikes me in all the examples you've given that it just, it doesn't seem that hard. (laughs) Well, like it really doesn't seem that hard, does it? I I don't know who's advising these people. (laughs) Do you want me to advise you? What, what, what is, what's stopping people from just kind of doing something? You know what? Honestly, I don't think that they even, I don't even think that they realize what they can do. I think they need people there to tell them that this is what you should do. Because I think you take a word like reconciliation and that whole concept is just completely loaded. It can mean so many different things to so many different people. Like even breaking it down to to a cat, like to a phrase that kind of, tries to encompass that concept would be for me writing relationships, right? Like, well, what does that even mean? Like conceptually, that's also a really broad kind of idea, right? What do you mean by writing relationships? Well, the relationships aren't very good right now. (laughs) We've been wronged. So we got to make them right. Okay. So then how do we do that? I think people get stuck. They get baffled. They don't understand 
what they actually have that they can give away. I, either that or else it's just pure greed. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not certain if it's like ignorance and lack of understanding or if it's just pure greed or like, you know, sometimes that's the, also the response. It's like, well, that's not how we do things. You know, that's just not how we operate. Right. Like we wouldn't want to seem like we were giving preference to anybody. I wonder too, if, if to some extent it might be that some organizations have a hard time seeing their relevance. So, you know, you might take a hockey team that says, well, it's, I can't like give a First Nation their land back. Yeah, but you operate on their land. So maybe you can at least make your programs accessible to the people whose land that you're, you're benefiting from. I wonder if there's just a bit of a, a relevancy connection there that should be made. I think there's a huge disconnect, right? I think um, part of the job, part of my job as an Indigenous scholar, and particularly within the field of Indigenous studies, is to correct history and to help connect, like first you correct the, the history and you offer like an indigenous perspective and narrative of how things went down, right? And then from that point, if you can reach people and help them see how things kind of transpired and how colonialism and racism and sexism have all like severely impacted indigenous peoples in a really negative way. And then, then you help them understand what they see today and like make the connection between what happened then and what's happening right now. And so I think there's a huge need for, and I, and I am, I'm hopeful because I see a lot of re-educating happening all over, but I also know that you have to buy in and to be invested in re-educating oneself, right? A person has to be invested in re-educating. They have to see that it's valuable for themselves and for their social, for society as a whole, because it takes a lot of unlearning. It, it takes a lot of work, no matter what, right? You have to be pretty committed too. And I think... Part of that commitment is maybe even just saying, you know what, we really want to do something and we don't know where to start or like how to do it. And so maybe we need to hire someone. Maybe we need to get an expert in here that can teach us and show us what needs to happen so that we can be better brothers and sisters, you know, better kin, better relatives to Indigenous people. I think a key word that you used is hire someone, you know, like give payment, give acknowledgement for people's services, right? Like don't just assume that it's the goodness of people's hearts that'll, that, that they'll do this under. No, we're done that. We don't yeah. do it. We don't do anything for free anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know what? I, I say that in a, I jest, but I don't, right? You know, when you're talking about such an exploitive and uneven relationship, it's, uh, we're not going to teach you we're not going to teach you what you need to know so that you can be a better person out of the goodness of our hearts for free, because we have to survive in this. You know what I'm saying? So again, it comes back to that. And I hate, it's not all about economic. Um, There's certainly other things that are far more high level. You know, when we talk about like politics and and governance and self-determination and self-governance and, you know, all those other kind of rights that were taken from us, those are pretty high level and require some high level policy and legislative changes with 
the government. So those can be, those are, those are, you know, hundreds of years yeah. of challenge in the making, yeah. which is why we need all those lawyers to come on over and yeah. give us free legal services and work pro bono on our rights. <laughs> lawyers, if you're listening. Lawyers, if you're listening, <laughs> this is what you can do. When we hear, though, that it's, you know, going to be hundreds of years, et cetera, or that it has been and, you know, how much time it's going to take to repair, we're like, oh, my gosh, it's overwhelming. But there's actions that can be done today, right? And it's not ever going to be the be all and end all, but it'll be something. Something is better than nothing. And something is better than being frozen and just being like, I don't know what to do. Figure out what to do. Find out. Find someone who can help you. So to bring it all back to where we started, that something can and should include land acknowledgements, but it can't stop there. For my fellow settlers, give some thought to the opportunities you have to honor treaty commitments. We didn't mean to pick on hockey teams and lawyers back there, but hey, if that's you, some of your homework is done already. Again, many thanks to Christy Anderson for sharing her perspective and insight. Christy and I had so much to talk about this month that I'm actually saving some of it for our next episode on March 1st. You'll hear us chat about the spiritual and sacred elements of treaties, and what that means for treaty relationships today. Stay tuned. Until then, let me know your thoughts on this episode. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash so what podcast. I'm Jonas Cornelson. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.